Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. That means it's time for another episode of Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Glad to hear it. Yeah. How yeah, you feeling, you man? Like I, you, yeah. you're, you're getting over, uh, you know, having coronavirus, COVID nineteen. So how you feeling? You okay? Feeling good, man. Feeling good. Well, goodish. You know, eighty-five percent. You know, I, I was just telling you off air. Sometimes I feel like I'm back a hundred percent, and then like just a wave of uh, uh, like lethargy, tired, just will come over me. And, Sometimes I can't tell if it's this Texas heat or, or if it's the COVID, but, uh, you know, I'm getting there. Still a little, uh, coffee and stuff too. I had this weird lingering cough and, uh, you know, uh, same with my, my partner, uh, Taryn, who I live with. She, uh, she didn't get it. She got, it seemed to have getting a little worse than me, but like has lingered a little bit longer. So, uh, it's crazy to talk to people who've had it and everyone will tell you a different story. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's like really inconsistent, man. You know, and, and like I was telling you off air, like I it took me a few weeks, about a month before I was actually back to normal normal where I was able to do everything without getting tired, and that kind of thing. Right, exactly. And you know, for a complete hoax, it's pretty crazy to go through these symptoms. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're doing a really good of faking everyone out on this thing, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. This five G thing—that's what it is. Yeah. You know, they, they, <laughs> they. You know, they them. are doing a good job of faking everybody. Yeah, they sure are, man. But uh, how are you doing, man? You checked out anything uh, cool since we last talked? As a matter of fact, I have. Mm. I saw some really good stuff over the last week. Um, I saw oh, great. Bar- I saw Barbarian in the theater. Yes, yes. You mentioned that. Yeah, man. And uh, I don't, you know, I didn't know much about the movie because, like, I guess everyone's, you know, all the intel that's floating around is don't watch anything, don't read anything, just go and see the movie. And that's pretty much what I did. <clears throat> and it's, um, I got to say, it's probably one of my top five, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, top five or maybe, maybe even number one this year of films. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I, I think oh, so far I have my number one chosen, but you know it's it's only uh, September, so and I haven't seen Barbarian, so it could it, it could be dethroned. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. It reminds me of a Brian Keene plot, uh, you know, one of his novels. Uh, right. It's got really great acting. It's shot really well, and um, I actually might go see it again in the theater, and. Um, just because uh, P-Spice, my, uh, my friend over there, my, uh, she wants to go see it in the theater. And um, we're probably going to go this weekend, actually. You know, Awesome. It's been quite a while since I've seen something twice. In it. It's been quite a while since I've seen something in the theater, now that I think about it. I've been, I've been ripping movies in the theater uh, pretty regularly. Yeah, I, I should go. I mean, we got the draft house here, and yeah. uh, you know, got got some great theaters, and that seems like a a good theater experience from what uh from what I've uh, been told and the few things I've read. I'm I'm trying to take everyone's advice and not uh, read too much about it. All I know, my friend up in Boise saw it and said, 
uh, it was it's weird that this Winona Ryder movie came out about a month ago that was very similar in plot. Really? And I can't. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie. I should have wrote it down, but he's like, "Yeah, but that was garbage." <laughs> oh, Winona Ryder, like she had she had, she had a theatrical film come out recently. I think it was theatrical. I mean, I'm, within the last six seven months, it, it it's a twenty twenty two movie, I believe. And he said that it's weird that the plots were were very very similar. <clears throat> wow, I didn't even hear about but, that. Uh, yeah, apparently it's not good. I saw two uh, other things. That um, you recommended, actually. <clears throat> I uh -oh. saw the, uh, okay. the Ben Wheatley films, Down Terrace and High Rise. Oh, oh, did I actually recommend High Rise? Or, um... Well, you told me about him, and, and I know yeah. that it was a J.G. Ballard uh, film adaption of one of his novels. And uh, the novel, I enjoyed the Ballard novel, so I figured it'd be cool to see the film. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Ballard's not for everyone. He's a complex writer to say the least um what did you think of the adaptation then I'm, I'm curious what you thought of that one it, it was good um i enjoyed it just as a separate as a film you know what i'm trying to say yeah like the adapt they're two different things the book and the movie and uh you know i like tom hiddleston hiddleston and um i, I always enjoy him in, in movies and uh it it was actually a very different wheatley film than his other stuff that I've seen. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, you know, it's like real, um, real slick, you know, and, and that's not what I think of Ben Wheatley when I think of movies. Yeah, you know, it, it, Ben Wheatley, he's a, a tough one to uh, nail down. I don't know if you saw his Netflix movie, Rebecca. No. Um, it's not good. Oh. It doesn't feel like Wheatley put his stamp on it at all. It almost feels like a director for hire kind of thing. It, has that kind of Netflix colorization to it. Doesn't really have his dark humor or anything. I mean, High Rise, I didn't love, but I certainly enjoyed it much more than that one. Yeah, High Rise I thought was good. And I think, you know, hey, these guys got to eat, man. So maybe it was a scenario with Rebecca where they just hired him. You know, all right, we, this, sure. is, this is your lane and you got to stay in it. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, it. you know, one for them, one for yourself. And, you know, now he's doing the Meg 2, which I would assume, you know, hey, big studio payday. And, you know, Ben Wheatley gets to play in a $100 million sandbox, which, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, oh, totally. And uh, what do you think of Down Terrace, oh, though, man? His debut dude, film. Which, fucking Down Terrace ruled, dude. It was so good. Such a fucking great movie. And really... Really shows like his voice that he'll have. It's been like it's a great start. Like you can see his voice and then his themes and his humor come through uh, right away. The style of filmmaking. Uh, I really like that one. Kind of, I, I like these kind of low grade gangster movies that aren't like Goodfellas or Casino. These big ethics. These are just these like shit bags who like don't leave their house. And yeah, it's kind of like low rent. Actually, some of the same characters, some of the same actors are in a lot of his films. Yeah, I know that one actor, I think, is in everything that he's done. Uh, he well, played uh, Jay's partner in Kill List. Yeah, Michael Smiley. He was, um, yeah. he was in Down Terrace. He played Pringle. <laughs> yes, he did Pringle. Yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, he has a bigger part in Free Fire, which, uh, have you seen that one yet? No, but I believe that's on Showtime. 
That's a good one, man. Yeah. I, that would make a good double Ben Wheatley double feature with something like Sightseers, which is uh, you know two of his funnier movies of dark subject matter but told in a uh, humorous sort of way. Yeah, I have that uh, added in Showtime, <clears throat> and most likely I'm going to watch it this evening. So, so yeah, that's going to nice. be nice. Yeah, that's going to be a fun evening for you, man. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you checked the check those out. Yeah, no, I, I'm all in, and um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm a late comer to uh, Wheatley's uh, canon, and I'm I'm really enjoying his movies right now. Me too, man. Uh, he, he's he's a director I look forward to whenever I see his name pop up anywhere. Let's see, he's gonna have my money, man. I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna watch it. What you about know, you? Uh, man? Did you check anything out? Well, you know, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I watched. Uh, Doctor Strange 2, or Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, uh, we have that Disney Plus app, but yeah. I don't really watch anything on it. And I was, uh, you know, I've been sick and uh, pretty much watch everything. And I was like, oh, you know, Sam Raimi. I love Sam Raimi. Uh, I should probably watch this at some point. And I, uh, I finally did. And uh, i got to say, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Wow. I haven't seen it, so that's not not very convincing for me to check it out. Yeah, I really, I, I, I really hated it. Um, you know, Marvel is Marvel has this like kind of formula that they adhere to, but every once in a while, you know, you'll get like a real director-driven film from Marvel, like a Shane Black doing uh, Iron Man three or the Eternals or uh, you know the later Thor films. Uh, really, really kind of a showcase more for the director. And I thought with hiring Sam Raimi, you might get something more like that, you know, but you get Raimi in director for hire mode. It doesn't, it has a few more of Raimi's kind of visual flares to it. But other than that, I just found it to be this boring, headache-inducing eyesore, just an entire movie shot on the green screen. And ah, ah, it was very, very disappointing to say the least. I'm sorry to hear that, man, because I, I love Sam Raimi. And, and um, you know, Doctor Strange as a character has got so much potential, and they, they seem to be fucking ruining it, you know? Yeah, I, I didn't care for the first one. I mean, the only thing that brought me to this was, was Sam Raimi and, uh, and, and, and the claims that this was the first Marvel horror movie. And uh, it wasn't, if, if that's their idea of a horror movie, then I, I don't think they've ever seen one before. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very unfortunate. And, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, I started watching a show on FX uh, on Hulu uh, that's been around. It's, it was a limited series. It came out maybe a couple years ago. I've been meaning to get to it. Um, it's called Devs. Did I mention this already to you? Um, no, but I, <clears throat> I was aware of that, too, and I haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. So what, what's the story with Devs? Well, that is a Alex Gardner uh, uh, show. You know, he just directed Men, which you guys talked about on the podcast. Right. And uh, The Great Ex Machina, uh, one of the best films to come out in the last 10 years, last 20 years even. It's a masterpiece, I think. Um, it's cool so far. I'm only on episode two. Um, but so far, so good, man. I think if you're a fan of his, his directing, his writing, I think... You're gonna enjoy it, 
And much like everything else, it's best to go into it as cold as possible. I'm on episode two, and I'm still really not 100% sure where it's going. Hmm. Okay. And uh, I think there's only oh, six or eight episodes. It's very limited. So, um, which I think is a good thing, because sometimes you, you, you can really ruin something good with season after season and you kind of run out of ideas and you know there's like 10 or eight or nine seasons of dexter and when you really probably only need like three or four you know what i mean yeah yeah i I can attest to that too man like i still haven't really finished it man i started watching it like three years ago or whatever and i watched a bunch of episodes binged a couple of seasons and then i kind of stalled out and i don't know i'm on the last few yeah it's just sort of the same thing over and over again. And uh, that's what worries me about Severance. So I saw an interview with one of the creators or writers of the show, and he's like, well, we've not got anywhere from, like, you know, three to four seasons or oh, six. No. Six? I'm like, man, yeah. I'm like, ah, that first season was so perfect. I don't even know if you need to do more than two, <laughs> you know? That's what I was thinking. Maybe two to reveal and wrap everything up, and that's it, you know? Yeah. That's really all you need. I mean, it's a great premise. I thought season one was perfect. And, uh, you know, if it got canceled, ended right there, I kind of would be satisfied with leaving it on the cliffhanger it sort of ended on. And you come up with your own, you know, ideas about what happened, what was happening. Yeah, no, totally. It's, um, yeah, I, I mean, I want them to you know, go further with it. But yeah, I agree. Right. Of course. Uh, other than that, you know, I got to say, I don't talk about music a lot on this podcast, but one of my very favorite bands of all time released a new record and it's fantastic. It's uh, the new Af- Afghan Wigs record. Oh shit. I didn't even know they had a new record out. Yeah, they do. It's called, uh, how do you burn? I think that's what it's called. Um, the title was come up by the late Mark Lanigan, who also makes an appearance on the record. It's good to hear his voice. Uh, sad reminder that he's no longer with us. But, uh, you know, the Afghan Whigs broke up for a good, well, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years, something like that. And then he did the reunion tour like so many bands do and decided to sort of stay together. It's really just Greg Dooley and <laughs> the Greg Dooley show at this point. Like, uh, much like Queens of the Stone Age is sort of a revolving cast of characters, but that's pretty much what the wigs are now. But uh, this record's really good, man. It took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting it uh, to like it as much as I do. I'm definitely going to check it out because I've I've been probably not as avid of a fan as you are, but I've always really, really liked uh, Afghan wigs. Yeah, me too. I'm just a big Greg Dooley fan in general. I thought the, the Twilight Singers, the project he did after that was great. His solo record that came out during the pandemic uh, was great. You know, he's been at it a long time. And uh, he's still got it, you know? Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, I mean, the first thing we did when we moved to L.A. after we unpacked was uh, to go check out his bar <laughs> back in 2003. You know, oh, to, yeah. uh, uh, bar called a shortstop in LA and I'm like we're here man we gotta go check out Greg Dude's bar did you and, see him uh, was he there yeah he was bartending oh, and wow. we were like this is this is just bizarre and, you know I hadn't seen him live in a while he put on 
put on some weight. <laughs> well, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's been known as a guy who struggled with his weight his whole life. So yeah, yeah, he carries it well though. He wasn't like God. Who's this disgusting piece of shit? But I didn't even recognize him at first. I mean, I guess you don't expect to see the guy from the Afghan wigs behind the bar pouring beers and shit. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. a trip, man. And, uh, you know, he was every bit like he would be, like you would expect. Like the guy on the record, like he's that guy. You know what I mean? Like a, a John Belushi type of, type of guy, you know, behind the bar, holding court, you know, kind of being a prick to people. Yeah, his persona is really interesting. Right? I mean, I, I got on board with them way back when um, they were on Sub Pop. Because I was, oh yeah, wow, yeah, I was into like all that stuff for a bit, you know, for a minute. Like, um, you know, Tad, and I was like a follower of that record label. And uh, sure, you know, Afghan Wigs were one of those bands. They they came out in the early '90s with uh, "Up in It," you know, and I thought, yeah, pretty, pretty cool record, you know. And, and I've been following them more or less for the rest of the whole, their entire career, you know. Kind of an outlier for sub pop at the time too. I mean, they were a Cincinnati band. They didn't really sound like anything that was going on at the time. No, no, not at all. It was like you know, all those bands had that kind of you know heavy like, you know, that kind of sludgy sound. You know, you could sell they're into like Sabbath and all that, and um, you know, or Nirvana. You know, and right, and that that kind of vibe. You know, Screaming Trees had a minute on on sub pop too, and I think mm-hmm. probably Screaming Trees were the only band that was maybe stylistically similar to the afghan wigs somewhat you know somewhat yeah yeah sure and i don't think the wigs really hit their stride until their major label record gentlemen yeah yeah that's a great Uh, record yeah that trio of major label records that black love in 1965 i would always think of the pinnacle of uh their career those those just three records are incredible and i gotta say like no record reminds me of moving to Boston more than Black Love by the Afghan Wigs. Sure. I uh, listened to the shit out of that. Uh, Dude, the first I, I have a plethora weeks. of fucking memories of all those early records, even back to the sub pop era, you know, that just, uh, you know, like you, you listen to put those records on and just like you go back in time and shit, you know. Totally. His second record with his band, the Twilight Singers, Blackberry Bell. <laughs> Nothing reminds me of moving to L.A. more than that record. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like every major move in my life, Greg Dooley puts out a record. Now, guy, as I moved to Texas, you know, he puts out an Afghan Wigs record. And uh, I'm listening to, listening to the shit out of it, man. Great, great band. If you're a fan, you've been a little disillusioned with the last couple records. This is the one. Seems like a, a little bit of a return to form for them. A little bit more soul, you know, a little bit more of that going on. Uh, it's a great record. I highly rec- recommend it. Oh, I'm going to go check that out today, then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, you should. Yeah. It's a grower, for sure. Right on. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah. I, I checked out the movie. We, we're going to... Oh, I wanted to mention your your, your podcast, your episode on um, who invited them. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've mentioned it, uh, I think, last week we were talking about it, and I was like, yeah, I wasn't so sold on the end. And hearing you guys talk about it, I was like, man, I, that ending went completely over my head. <laughs> like, it was right there. But I just didn't see it, like, the way you guys saw it. Really? Interesting. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad that you got something out of that. Made me like the movie more. Like, I would bump it up uh, from a three to a four. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that was I, a good one. I, I dug that movie, man. I thought it was cool. Like I said, you know, just like basically four people in a room like talking. You know, it's very much like almost like a play. You know, and that's that's you know I've said it before. I've said it many times. I really like dialogue heavy. Uh, films and maybe that's because I love reading short stories so much you know and it has that same feel to it it's like dramatic like feel you know interestingly enough the movie we're about to talk about uh, or we're going to talk about in some ways similar in some ways not a huge hundred million dollar movie probably small cast really kind of contained to one setting i mean there's obviously they go other places but the majority of the story takes place in, in you know in, in in one little area but uh this is a much grander bigger production definitely man you know and before you get going i just want to um acknowledge all of our, our uh, podcasting family out there um pretty much now you know it's growing as well as i hope all you guys check out all these other shows and uh you know, starting off the week, we got Horror Wolf 666, which is another horror podcast that primarily, well, actually 100% focuses on interviews, which is not something that we do here at Necromaniac. So there's, you know, no conflict at all. And it's, it's really cool. Mm. You know, Tuesday yeah. is uh, Into the Necrosphere, extreme music, black metal, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, check it out. It's the only music podcast I listen to. Wednesday is uh, every week is Everything Went Black, which is uh, my flagship podcast, which I started, you know, way back in the 70s. You know, I started <laughs> this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a little bit of everything. You got music, you got filmmakers, you got authors, whatever. You know, there's like recurring things on that that happened with uh, my buddy Ralph or Jay Bennett, the uh, famous rock and roll scribe. Jay Bennett comes on every now and then. One of the best. Yeah. Yep. Friday, if you like comedy, it's an excellent way to end the week, the work week, with Break the Apocalypse. Mm. And then if you're into the occult or spirituality, we have Soul Knox brought to you by my good friend Carl Hikara and Iblis Manifestations which is another podcast that I actually either I'm going to be on or have been on already uh, based on when you listen to this episode. <laughs> so, um, Oh, I thought maybe like you got so hammered you don't remember if you did it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and that, that's definitely out there. And, ch- you know, those are all great shows. They're all people that we're friends with and uh, we all support each or, other. Or, or related to in some instances. Related to. Yeah, related to. Isn't Mike Scandato's brother do a podcast? Yeah, one of those podcasts yeah, you're talking about. Oh, yeah, about. John Draper, who somehow yeah. uh, doesn't have the same Scandato family name. Uh, you know, it's weird. I have an older brother. We have the same last name. Really? <laughs> yeah, fucking, weird, huh? That's fucking far out, man. But yeah. It is, dude. It so, is. <laughs> so that, that's it. When you're done with this, check those shows out. And that's pretty much all you need, man. You know, fuck, fuck listening to the news. You know, don't listen to Joe Rogan. Don't listen to uh, anyone else except for these shows, and you've got the whole week locked down. Yeah. What more do you need? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this no week. No CNN, no books, yeah, none no, of that don't shit. Read, don't read. Don't read, period. It's all lies. <laughs> it's all lies. Yeah. <laughs> We're kidding, people. <laughs> so for this week's episode... Uh, Jeff and I are going to be talking about the brand new film, Nope, 
written and directed by Jordan Peele. It was mm -hmm. released July 18th in L.A. this year, and then for the rest of the U.S. on July 22nd. So there was a, a L.A.-only premiere of this film. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, a little bit on the long side. It's 130 minutes. So, you know, it's, it, it's not a short watch. It is definitely not a short watch. Pretty, uh, pretty good cast, man. We got the great, mm -hmm. the great Keith David. Uh, st you know, he's. I I'm going to put him as star one of the stars too. I mean, he's not. Okay, interesting. He he's like, just out of respect. You know, this this guy yeah, is like an OG, like horror icon, Keith David. And, absolutely. Uh, he plays Otis Hayward, senior. We have uh, Daniel Daniel Kaluuya as Otis, aka OJ, Otis Jr. <laughs> Hayward. Yes. The great Kiki Palmer as Emerald Hayward, known as M. Mm-hmm. Brandon Perea as Angel Torres. He's like a uh, Geek Squad-style tech technical support dude who shows up. Steven Ewan, you guys might know from, uh, from Walking Dead, uh, he shows up as uh, Ricky, a former child actor. And last but not least, we have the great Michael Wincott, the best voice in, in all of filmmaking. Such a great actor. So excited to see him in something again. It's yeah. been forever. Yeah, totally. He looks, he looks awesome, too, by the way. He does. I'm not sure of his age, but he's been around a while. He's timeless. And, uh, man, you put him in something, it's automatically a better film. I mean, his little role in Dead Man makes the movie just that much better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, he was in a lot of great films, like the Doors movie. Uh, not That wasn't a great movie, but he was great in it. And uh, one of my favorite Bro. movies, A Sleeper, a movie that came out in the 90s called Strange Days with a, a young Ray Fiennes. It's, it's another oh, film. yeah, from future Oscar winner Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, yeah. That Strange Days is a, is a really, really good movie, man. So if you guys want to see a movie about the year 2000 <laughs> and, uh, and like the insanity that's supposed to how, 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 how it's the life is supposed to be in the year 2000. <laughs> like definitely check it out. Um, it's got Juliette Lewis in it. Uh, you know, Michael Wincott is in it. Uh, a young Ray Fiennes, uh, who kind of is dressed a little bit like David Yao from the Jesus lizard in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> who pop up in this movie as well. Oddly enough. Yeah. And, um, yeah. um, so anyway, Michael yeah, you also Win got the great Tom Sizemore too. Oh, oh how could I forget Tom Sizemore? You know? Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, Wincott plays a character named Antlers Holst. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, it is a great name. Yeah. I was just racking my brain to think if there's any sort of significance to a name like that, but came up with nothing. Nah, it, it just you know, the funny thing about it, it, it like the last name Holst. Like it implies that he might be uh, European, mm. and you know, ironically, Michael Wincott is European. However, he plays an American in this movie with a European name. Wait, is he English? Or... Yeah, no, he's British. Yeah, I, I had no fucking idea. That just blew my mind. Yeah, Wincott. Let me. You know what? Let me. Before I put my foot in my mouth, <laughs> let me. 
Let me uh, let me verify that. But I'm I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure that Michael Wincott is British. Now watch. Wow. All right. So Wincott is Canadian. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's yeah. from fucking Toronto, which is like uh, actually that's like a very um, man. What a, what a fucking fool I am. This guy's fucking Canadian. Well, you know, uh, Toronto is the Europe of Canada. <laughs> Actually, Toronto feels more like a U.S. city than any any other city. Like, definitely, like Montreal feels very European, but Toronto that, yes. that's when things start feeling very, you know, more 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 like just North American, I guess. You know. Yeah, sure. Oh, and man, then you got fucking do what an ass I just made out of myself. Okay, <laughs> we're leaving it in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Wincott, Wincott's uh, 64 years old, and he looks okay. fucking, he looks great, man. He's like, he's got that like you know, chiseled face still. You know, it's like a real, real youthful looking 64. Good on Jordan Peele for casting him too, because I mean, he really hasn't done anything in a while, so you know, you know, he's a fan at, at, at least, you know. And um, but. <laughs> How do you start to talk about a movie like Nope? I guess we should start with the director himself. Sort okay. of an uh, uh, interesting figure in film. Very uh, divisive, I would say. You know, you got some people who really love this guy and other people who, who say the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> and at three films, I think either or is a little bit of a stretch. I mean... I remember when Nope first came out in theaters, someone, someone with a blue check mark, declared him the master of horror, and no other horror director has made three good horror films in a row, which spawned many <laughs> angry responses, one of which from Jordan Peele himself. Um, he said, uh, excuse me, John Carpenter? <laughs> and uh, good on him for, for that. Yeah, you know, I Jordan Peele, I think, is is a cool guy like i i like jordan peele um i liked his comedy work you know key and peele yeah sure um now you know the hype the hyperbole of holly hollywood types um is sort of in this case kind of exploitative in a way uh because you know peele obviously is an african-american filmmaker and uh, you know Hollywood, with their extreme left, you know, point of view on everything, is going to rally around, you know, uh, an African American to show ha not so much to support them in their, in you know, Peel and his endeavors, but to virtue signal how, um, you know, liberal they are. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, and and that, you know, I'm trying to word this in a way that that doesn't paint me as like some right wing you know, extreme, <laughs> extremist, you know. Um, I really liked Get Out. I thought that was great. I, I totally enjoyed that movie. Um, yeah, agreed. You know, I think that he needs to develop more, though. Just I don't like all of his films. Like, you know, I'm not even going to say yet how what I think of this movie, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Twilight Zone thing he did, I think he was like the producer on that was – garbage in my was, opinion yeah yeah it was really really bad uh and, and his defense in that though many have tried to reboot twilight zone and it has never worked true true 
you know. And then he also was uh, involved in the production of the Candyman um, sequel, I guess, as we, mm. you know, and, and sequel that, slash remake. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really. It wasn't a remake. You know, I mean, they. It wasn't they, really a sequel either, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, but they acknowledged the beginning of the what happened in Cabrini and Green. You know, that's true. That's true. Uh, I really hated that film. That movie I was terrible. Um, Heavy-handed and just not scary at all. And um, I, I, the original, I thought was great. Yeah, well, I know Peel didn't direct that. I think it was uh, he was more of a producer and maybe had a writing credit. Yeah. Uh, definitely, if, I don't know how much of his writing made it into the final product. doesn't really feel like it has his voice uh, at all, but uh, not good. Not good at all. Uh, was very baffled by the response that it got from everyone saying it was... I mean, I saw that on a lot of top 10 of the year lists and... Uh, I guess it just didn't uh, sit with me well. Uh, I thought it was a great-looking movie, well-directed at least, but uh, just, no, not good. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, if the original one is so it's such a classic in my opinion, you know what I mean? And Oh, okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, uh, I, I was happy that someone was going to try to do something with that, but it just didn't really, it fell, fell short with me. It did, it did. And uh, to your point about, you know, the virtue signaling and the left, and you know what's kind of funny is people never seem to point out, at least to me anyway, about Get Out is the sort of well-off white liberals are the bad guys in that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember the film. But yeah, like it's, it's like the, the people that are the bad guys in that movie are like the, you know, the ruling class old money types you know what i mean yeah but you got like the dad who's like oh i would have voted for obama again and then you oh, got right. the daughter who's like oh how dare the police pull over like my black boy like you know the, the, these things you would hear people on twitter say it's like these are the bad guys uh, of the movie uh which i you know i thought was an, uh, an interesting twist on that you know it's not like these country bumpkins or like plan rally fuck we've seen that a million times uh, to, to make the less obvious choice, I thought was a, a good way to go. I wish Peel went further with the, the kind of dark themes in the movie. If you watch the Blu-ray, there's an alternative ending that I thought worked way better than the actual ending. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I didn't see the alternative ending, so I don't really know what it entails, really. But uh, I won't spoil it. But it's much darker and much more where I thought. The well, well, the, inter go. the interesting thing about that point you just brought up about the white liberals is that. Racism doesn't, it, it extends into virtue signaling. You know what I mean? Sure. Like there's the obvious, like, first tier racists that are out there, like uh, Ron DeSantis and people like that. You know what I mean? And, and then there's, like, you know, the obvious heavy, heavy handed, broad strokes of, of that. You know what I mean? And then mm. there's the more subtle racism that's displayed by, you know, liberals, you know? Like who who are using exploiting people of color to bolster up their currency, you know what I mean? Which is exactly what Get Out was about. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and that's what I thought was great about that film. You know, is that you know it's uh, that awareness of the subtlety. I thought was really really good and well displayed in that movie. Um, Absolutely, there's a little bit of that going on in this film too that we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah, but uh, yeah. You know, 
I think, though, so quickly Jordan Peele became a name with expectations attached to it. Yeah. Uh, when Us came out, only his second movie, it already felt like someone struggling with that. Like, okay, I have to have some sort of subtext to this film. And I think that was the, the undoing of Us. I thought Us was a great setup, great first 30, 40 minutes, and it completely falls apart for me after that. And yeah. I wasn't exactly sure what he was trying to say. I, I guess it was a movie about class in America, which, uh, you know, it's always interesting to hear uh, someone who is a millionaire and lives in a mansion hear their ideas about class. <laughs> who know? actually came um, from money, too, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think Peel was like from like uh, didn't didn't struggle when he was uh, younger with uh, with money at least. Okay, you can't fault someone for that though. No, yeah, no I'm not faulting saying. anybody for their economic standing at all. But I'm just saying, like, right? You know. Um, but yeah, I, it just it felt like it, it it needed to say something, and I'm not really sure what it was trying to say. And if it was about class, I mean. Oh, like I'm not against any like you know well-off filmmaker making a movie about that. You have the uh, the Parasite, which came out like the same year or a year after, which is very much about class, and it is an excellent movie. And Us was just sort of a muddled mess for me. It didn't quite gel. Which brings us to Nope, which really is probably his most straightforward of the three movies. Yeah, basically it is. I mean, uh, you know, it just in a nutshell, the uh, the movie is about uh, two, you know, siblings, brother and sister, OJ and M, and uh, they're a uh, they 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 have a family business associated with uh, horse wrangling, um, and then their interaction with Hollywood, which leads to some subplots here and. At the, at the heart of the movie, they're basically trying to prove evidence, that find evidence of a UFO in the, uh, in the desert area where their ranch is located. Right. Yeah. That's basically the movie. Basically the whole movie, <laughs> you know. And, and um, Now, I don't know how, how much spoilery we want to get, but... Uh, I would put a warning on it because... There's, yeah. there's some problems I have with this movie that are going to be tough to discuss uh, without spoiling it. And ultimately, really, though, there's not a lot to spoil. This is a two-hour and ten-minute movie that really not much happens. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's actually broken up into five chapters. There's Ghost, Clover, Gordy, Lucky, and Jean Jacket. And, yes. Uh, I got to be honest, man. I caught myself dozing during during some of this film you know not literally but you know I, I saw this the movie theater so it was dark you know and it was like you know kind of comfort comfortable you know and i was like man um i could easily fall asleep right now and probably wake up and still not have nothing going on you know right well i know what you're saying but for me it was the opposite i kept expecting peel to rein it in and to sort of tie everything together and that kind of kept me interested. And so when credits rolled, I was like, oh, hmm. <laughs> you know, I was like, at first, you know, I, I didn't know what to think. I was like, man, like, there, there's so much good in that movie. But at the same time, there's a lot of threads that just don't come together. Well, so I guess. No, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. sorry, go ahead. What, what I was uh, going to say is, I almost feel like this is a setup for like a universe to make more films in. 
Oh, God, I hope not. I hope not, too, because that's the only reason I can think that all these loose ends were, were still at the end of the film. Well, it wasn't even, like, the loose ends. It was just sort of, like, scattershot. And, you know, characters are usually Peel's strong suit. And in this movie, I felt like there barely were any characters. You had the lead, OJ, who might be the dullest lead in a movie I've seen in a long time. From a great actor. He's yeah. great. And he just doesn't have much to do. Doesn't really have much of an arc. You don't really understand any motivations why he's doing any of this. You know, he's obviously distraught. The movie begins. His father dies mysteriously. You know, he gets hit with some random shrapnel from the sky. And he starts to think something's up. But um, other than that, he just sort of kind of mopes around the movie for two hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have all these other characters. I really feel like some of these characters could have all been folded into one or two. Because um, I think Jordan Peele keeps making the same point over and over again in this film, but with different uh, actors, different characters. Because we all know that Jordan Peele likes to have subtext in his movies. And this one isn't political, per se, as much as his other two. But I really feel a strong theme about Hollywood itself. He's trying to make some sort of comment about filmmaking. Am I off there? What do you think? No, I think if it's pretty, yeah, that's what everyone's been writing about is the subtext with Hollywood and, and you know, uh, our addiction to spectacle and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I got to be honest, after, <clears throat> after having two films loaded with subtext, I really would rather, I'd love to see him just make a movie that's just like, all right, this is going to be like a cool film that has like monsters in it or aliens and we just explore that you know instead of like like you were saying hammering the same <clears throat> sort of commentary over and over again you know right so you have everyone obsessed with with spectacle the movie starts on the set of uh, a tv show you just see a bloody um, monkey and blood all over the place and it's a great setup and I, I guess it has some sort of payoff later. There's this whole thing like of, of, of the don't look, you can't tame a predator. Don't look a, a, a beast in the eye. That keeps coming back. Well, well I, what got, was the, I got a lot to say about that, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Please, yeah. please. By all means, I'd love to hear it. Well, go ahead with what else. I'll let, I'll, you know, please finish your point before I rip that. Well, that I'm saying point. that point is made with several characters. I think yeah. Stephen Yeun's a great actor. What was the point of even having his character in this movie? I didn't, like, like he's, okay, spoiler. I'm going to say it right now. Count to five. <laughs> I'm going to spoilers. <laughs> five, four, three, two, one. Stephen Yeun's character dies halfway through the movie. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, what the hell was the point of all of that? All yeah. of those themes could have been done. You could have written that into OJ and made him a much more interesting character instead of this like mopey dude who's really got nothing to do. Yeah, I think so. And, and there's the whole subplot with the with the you know the the chimp. You know, it's like I, I just that didn't really go anywhere for me. You know. It didn't. I think it only <laughs> existed to say you don't look it in the eye. All right. Well, now that's uh, that's a mistake because um, this is a this is a mistake. Okay. With 
and that this is one of my these little details are the things that fucking enrage me sometimes okay <laughs> okay okay you know like like in prey like wolves don't hunt they hunt in packs they don't hunt like by themselves okay sure that's like a fucking that bothered me so much about that movie all right mm-hmm. um all right yeah but you have a, a primate the eye contact thing has nothing to do with predator prey relationship it has to do with social dominance like social status so when a, a primate looks another primate in the eye it's a challenge for social standing within the group so they fight sure and all, mostly they do they do not fight to the death they just fight okay. until one submits and then the other one re- remains the dominant male or whatever in in the you know the group okay predators on the other hand because uh primates are not strict predators you know they're omnivorous especially chimps chimps are like fucking humans they eat all kinds of stuff they eat everything basically right right predators maybe predator was the wrong word no 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 but this is something that is relevant in the film because predator prey relation the eye contact thing they actually recommend (laughs) you to i mean i don't know who the fuck ever would test something like this but if you look up in all these like survivalist manuals and if you run into a predator out in the woods, you're supposed to look it in the eye and all this bullshit. And like, right. So, I mean, I'm not saying I would ever try to look a fucking lion in the eye <laughs> you know what I mean? and stare it down. But that is sure. something that is recommended to do in, the, in a predator prey scenario because the prey is usually fleeing from the predator. Right. So you think this was a mistake to go this route? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the fuck this guy's thinking, man. I mean that because they do. Okay. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a spaceship. It's not an alien spaceship. It's actually a creature. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I have that written down. I put a big so what underneath it. Like, is yeah. that really such a big reveal? Is that the big twist? I think so, man. I, and it's um. So the whole thing is uh. Don't look it in the eye, and you're safe, which is completely opposite to what actually happens with a predator. You know, it's like okay. if you are running away from it, you're not looking it in the eye, and you get become its next meal, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I got you there. Yeah, I I, I, got you. I, 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 I couldn't work with that, you know, because I was just like, man, you, you know, you, you're like this world-renowned filmmaker, writer, like couldn't. That's like the linchpin of this whole thing. And you didn't really apply any real logic at that point. And that's what I have a problem with. Okay. Uh, I get what you're saying. I I can suspend disbelief a lot of times with a lot of these movies. What I didn't understand is why develop this character of uh, Juke at all when you could have just brought back characterization and made it like like oj's like juke is kind of interesting he's a child star he's kind of like this like i don't know aloof sort of guy and he's an interesting character and then he's just sort of gone yeah uh yeah he's figured out a way like he thinks to, to 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 tame this this beast or whatever so and which ultimately uh in one of the best scenes in the movie it shows that he very much can't um, but ultimately, yeah, like it's, it really didn't have a lot of payoff and didn't really go anywhere. And I, you make that point with other characters, like OJ is a horse trainer, and he mentions very early in the film 
hey, don't look this thing in the eye. Don't look this horse in the eye. And the horse freaks out. And, uh, you know, they have to replace the horse with a CGI horse, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> you yeah. seeing them loading in the CGI horse in the background. Um, <laughs> um, so he kind of keeps making the same point over and over again. You have all these people obsessed with capturing spectacle. Um, but to what, like, like Michael Wincott, okay, he's great. I really think his character is severely underwritten. Yes. His motivation's very questionable in this movie. I agree I mean, with that. And like that, that, and he was underutilized too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And just even the connection of getting him to that, the, you know, you see him at the beginning of the movie, he's directing a commercial or something. I didn't quite sure. I wasn't sure what yeah, I think were. it was a commercial. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, like, uh, you know, he, he, he establishes OJ again, being kind of mopey. Uh, they, they, they bring up that his name is OJ, the, the white uh, lady. Yeah, like, the white OJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so calling him OJ was no accident, obviously. Uh, he's not very good at talking. So the sister M comes in, gets, does this, does this big spiel. Seems to kind of annoy the director. So, so then having this sort of connection at the end, like her calling him, seemed very out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought a better version of this character would be like a Captain Ahab. Like no one really seems to have any like real connection to want to hunt this thing down. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to bring like Michael Winkhot's character in and make him like, you know, he's obsessed with getting the perfect shot. Like you already sort of have that going on in so many different characters in the movie. Like make him the Ahab, the guy who like has some sort of personal vendetta against this thing, something, someone who's obsessed with UFOs. But he's just basically a, another guy who gets this phone call out of nowhere, and is like, "Yeah, sure, I got nothing else going on. I'll come down there." Yeah, you, you know, it just seemed like a, a waste of like you could have done something so much more there. Yeah, Something in general, more, I thought way more I was, interesting. In, in general, it was just kind of lazy writing. I thought, you know. Yeah, which is not. I mean, it's not something you expect from Jordan Peele. I mean, even though Us didn't work for me, it's a very ambitious movie. And this, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Felt a little, felt a little lazy. And that comes through in like the plotting, the the pace. Um, for such a big blockbuster, this is one of the slowest movies I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, totally. And now, now um, I, I want to talk about the actual alien itself, too. Okay, yeah, all right. All right, so this is obviously some kind of Lovecraftian creature from uh, the center of the universe that somehow has come to uh, roost here in, um, on the planet Earth and is uh, largely obscured uh, by an unmoving cloud. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this thing is fucking gigantic, (laughs) and how does it not completely consume all of the humans and animals on the planet Earth because of how fucking gigantic this thing is? Like, how does it only sustain on the occasional person here and there or group of people? You know? Yeah, I I had that written down. Similar, like something similar as well. Like, and then they like the thing wants to stay hidden, but why? 
that's one thing about yeah. UFOs and, and aliens in general that I don't get. In, in, in real life, if they've been here, why do they want to stay hidden? What do they have to be afraid of? They're obviously superior to us. That's like if you were trying to like hide, you know, your existence from a fucking possum or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I've often that that's like always been my my biggest thing about, um, you know, UFO uh, conspiracy types. You know, it's like why would yeah you know, they they're so powerful and they have intergalactic travel capabilities. You know, and obviously this thing being a, um, <clears throat> you know, some sort of you know, intergalactic traveling being. And that can obviously consume so many things, and there's nothing to really fear. You know, why, why right. the hell would this thing care if people see it or not? Right, exactly. It was, uh, I, 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 I wondered that many times throughout the film uh, myself. Did you like the actual design of it? Not particularly. <laughs> really? I mean, it, it was all right. You know, it's like. There are things about it that were cool, but like, I don't know. I just, I just it, it, you know, I don't know. I thought when it took the shape of a ship, which you see it in for most of the film, was like a nice nod to the stuff Peel obviously loves, you know, like the 50s Twilight Zone sort of standard idea of what a UFO would look like. But then when you realize it's not a UFO, it's just an actual being, a creature, it takes on this angelic sort of look, uh, which is not common in uh when you when you see an alien in a horror film it's usually something more just slimy or rigid or like terrifying and this thing is very uh angelic almost pretty almost you know like a screensaver or something or yeah. like something uh you know painting someone would hang on their wall in their office uh that was an interesting choice considering how brutally this thing dispatches people yeah no definitely and and um yeah, I, I just didn't like it. It looked like a kite to me, actually. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciated the, uh, the 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 instinct to go in a different direction with it, but I thought something more menacing was was needed. I don't know. Yeah, it was just because uh, you have one of the best scenes in the movie is showing like how these people, how how it gets people, and it's really disturbing. Yeah. I mean, you have people howling and crying, screaming and begging for their lives being like digested by this thing. Uh, it's it's very unsettling, and it could be turned out to be this sort of angelic-looking creature. Was yeah, uh, it's not what I expected. I'll say I'll, I'll say that. I think at that point of the movie, I was thinking more about uh, going to the diner after um, after the theater, after the film. This happens to you a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, uh, but you know, i hung in there um yeah it's uh well, you know it the other the other thing too is um it, it it instead of all right there's this big thing about looking in the eye you know you have to look away which is ridiculous in my opinion you know um but somehow this inflatable cowboy fools it into thinking that it's an actual living creature that it has to consume like, right the, the yeah the, <laughs> yeah this thing was smart when it needed to be smart and very dumb when it needed to be very dumb like the, the whole idea like i i would like to know how stephen young's character even thought he could control this thing you know and like just like oh bring in a horse and uh it, it, you know and then, 
And how did he not think everyone there was going to get destroyed? Yeah. Uh, weird, weird, weird choices there. The choice I did like, um, a big nod to Jaws in this movie with the, with the creature. Not so much in the look, but you kind of get a glimpse here, yeah. a glimpse there, and they use other things to represent that the creature is there. You know, famously in Jaws, the shark never worked, so they came up with the, the, the yellow barrels. Like, there's the shark. Here, you have sort of a, a similar thing, uh, much more intentional, with uh, those, those, those tube men that you see in front of used car lots. Yes. Because uh, everywhere this thing goes, it knocks out the electronics. So they'd have these tube men all over the place, and when they stopped working, you knew the alien was nearby. Um, which, you know, and then you see it here and there zipping through a cloud, and it was, it was, I, I really... It was exciting. Like I couldn't wait to get like a good look at it. And then when I did, I was like, nah, "It looks cool, but not. It's not uh, uh, menacing at all." And I mean, obviously that's a choice and something people wanted. But you know, I kind of wanted a little something. I don't know, scarier. Like like the shark in Jaws. That thing is menacing and terrifying. Yeah. No. Totally, man. You know. Yeah. I, I I did like the idea that it took out electronics because you got to you got to imagine this thing. Somehow, some, you know, far-flung technology is involved. Like, maybe this thing is, like, a hybrid of, like, android technology and biological material, and, and it operates on electromagnetics or something. You know, some really cool science fiction-esque thing going on, and that's why it drains all the electricity, you know what I mean? That, that I thought yeah, was totally. a cool touch. You know, something that's been... in. Yeah, you know, that's not a, an original idea. That's been in a lot of sci-fi films, you know. Right, sure. And uh, I think it's cool to do something on a big scale, like a big alien invasion, but seen from a small perspective. I, I, I like stuff like that. Like it kind of reminded, it really reminded me of, uh, you know, early Spielberg, obviously with the Jaws reference, uh, a little bit of Signs by M. Night Shyamalan, whose Jordan Peele's career made go the same way. It's hard to tell at this point. Uh, I hope not. Um, but it did have a lot of that, like, you know, big story, but told in a, you know, very quaint sort of way. And I, I thought that was a good choice, but also kind of bumped up against reality when like 50 people go out to the desert to witness something and they all die. That place would be swarmed immediately. Oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> Absolutely. And, be a crime scene it, it, you know it'd be like the yellow tape everywhere you know right exactly i think there is some yellow tape but yeah, like, but it, it would be I like, mean, like, an, be like uh, an fbi investigated site where there'd be people there all the time if something like that happened you know oh totally and then i guess you know in in, in in the very end like you see some people coming towards it but then like the uh i mean this movie kind of peters out at the end at the like the, the big thing is she wants to take a picture of it to prove that it existed which doesn't prove and, anything because how many pictures of UFOs are there out there in the world? You know, exactly. <laughs> it's like exactly. Just another it's like, fucking fake ass photo of something that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. And then they sort of defeat the creature spoilers with the cowboy thing. You mentioned like what? Ludicrous. Completely. Yeah. Ridiculous. It, 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 <laughs> exactly. How did she even know? I think she was trying to use it as a distraction, but it ended up, Defeating it, uh, which I mean, that's what I meant. Like this, this movie is, is long and slow and drawn out, and then it just goes sort of zoop. It's over. 
Yeah. And in the end, it just, I, I don't feel like for a movie about spectacle and Hollywood and you know, it didn't really have a whole lot of like spectacle. You, I mean, there, 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 there's some great, I don't want to completely shit on this movie because there is a lot to admire. It's a great looking movie. You have like a simple dialogue scene where uh, OJ and his sister are walking, uh, having a conversation, and it looks beautiful. You have the shot of the house when it's just raining blood. Great image. Jordan Peele is so capable of making a great movie. I just feel like he gets too wrapped up in his own ideas and doesn't really know how to completely connect the dots. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I um, you know, at the end of the day, this really fell short with me. And I, and I wanted to like it. I thought, like, I remember seeing trailers and, uh, I was like, man, this looks really cool, you know, and and I got excited for it, and you know, went to go see the film and uh, didn't live up. Yeah, I, if you were going to give this a grade, where are you? Um, okay, I have three point five, three and a half stars written down out of five, and and that's I feel like I'm being a little bit generous. Um, because it did look well, look good. You know, there was like, you know, there, there were moments in the film I thought were entertaining. You know, I was entertained for the most part. It was definitely too long. Mm. But why I don't give it anything better is because, um, like, I'm, I'm not going to watch this again for sure. You know what I mean? Okay. And right. I, I'm not going to buy it on Blu-ray or whatever, or even watch it again when it's on streaming somewhere. Because it just isn't that good. I just didn't enjoy it like that. So that's why it's not, you know, for all the reasons I talked about earlier, you know. See, I, I thought your grade was going to be much lower. I originally was thinking two and a half, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and say three. Okay. Because right. I think it's worth seeing. I think it is a well-crafted movie with great ideas that don't necessarily come together in a satisfying way. Um, but like I said, it, it's very cinematic. I wish you did see it on the big screen. Uh, I believe this was filmed in IMAX. Uh, it must've looked amazing. Maybe if I'd watched it at home, I would have given it a three. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, maybe the, the, the spectacle of it, you know, uh, gave, <laughs> gave it a slightly higher grade, but this is to say, this is not a movie worth your time. I would say would be, untrue i i think this is worth seeing and has some interesting ideas and peel obviously loves the cinema of the 70s and, and early 80s which just kind of reminded me of it had a very spielbergian thing yeah. going on yeah, totally and maybe it'll just be some you know i, I will see this again you know when jordan peele's got five or six films under his belt and you want to go and rewatch everything as a whole and see how everything fits together this might be, you know, maybe see it uh, in, a, in a different sort of context when he's got more out. I don't know, but I, I, I'll, I'll probably end up watching it again at some point. But it, it's it's frustrating because, yeah, like you said, I was very I was excited for this one, and it just didn't really live up to the hype. And I feel like Jordan Peele has yet to live up to his own hype. Uh, at, at this point, with three under his belt, and people calling him the new master of horror, 
I'm just, I'm just not there. Yeah, I, I um, I, I don't want to like, you know, penalize him for the hyperbole of everyone that giving him props. Of you know what I mean? But right. yeah, that he's clearly not the next big thing in horror, in my opinion. You know. Also, since uh, music is such a big part of our lives, I gotta point out. There's a Jesus Lizard t-shirt in this movie yep. and Earth. Yeah. Very cool. Which, yeah, I, that's a choice. I mean, I, someone in working on that film in the wardrobe department likes really good music. I think it's kind you of know? cool that, uh, that M, she was wearing the, uh, the Jesus Lizard t-shirt, right? Yes. Yeah, that, yes. That and cool. Alex, the tech guy, yeah, wore yeah. the Earth shirt. Yeah, that was cool. I like, I liked, uh, I like uh, Kiki Palmer. I, I think she's cool. And I, I thought I like seeing her in movies. You know, what I mean, she's in, she makes me laugh, and she's entertaining. I think. Yeah, she is, and she has the most character in this film. You know, like she she has more than you know one note of just you know grumpy or you know grizzled or you know she's she's a lot more animated than the rest of the cast. I also got to point out that the the, the TMZ guy which I, I guess he is the guy in the motorcycle that seems very funny <laughs> but didn't go the way i thought it was gonna go he again kind of making the same point tmz obsessed with capturing the image of uh obsessed with capturing the spectacle yeah um, that, that was actually <laughs> one of the high points of the movie definitely i definitely laughed the hardest at that point where like yeah you know all oh, that guy's dead and then you were screaming in the distance it was yeah it was good it, it, it was good this is worth your time, but not, I'm not going to, this is not a big recommendation for me. It's, it's worth seeing if you're a fan of cinema, you're a fan of the genre, uh, for the casual viewer, I think they'd be bored out of their mind now. The, um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. This movie fell short for me, man. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, but it did well. And Jordan Peele is one of the very few directors whose name is how you sell the film. There's not a lot of guys like that anymore. You got him, you got Christopher Nolan, and I'm sure there's someone I'm missing, but like those names themselves will sell a movie. Just that director's name. I, I just want him to spend more time writing. You know what I mean? Or... Maybe see him with someone else's script. I've always kind of wondered that when the director kind of does like one thing and one thing only, you know, see what they do with someone else's script. You know, like Spike Lee kind of did his thing like on his, for a while, wrote, produced, directed, and then, you know, where he, he did some, you know, directed for hire jobs and they were some of his best work. Uh, sometimes that just happens. You know, you got like the 25th hour or Inside Man. Um, I'd be curious to see a director like, Jordan Peele or Wes Anderson, sort of do someone else's script, do something out of a genre that they they always do. Like maybe Jordan Peele does a, a drama, or you know, well, you know, you already know he can do comedy really well, but you know, just something different. Yeah, I mean, there, I there's know. a lot of just like structural things that just fell to the wayside, you know. And and the premise was cool. I mean, I guess that's why I'm saying that I'm hammering him on the writing because like the premise is cool. right. You know, the idea behind this film is interesting to me. You know, it's the, you know, some desert, you know, UFOs. Like, there's, there's such, like, a rich, you know, tapestry of 
mythologies and things that he can tie into, especially being in the desert, you know, that, that would make this thing really cool. And, uh, you know, and also this, some of the ideas, if it's a, it's a sci-fi like horror film and they don't really, you know, part, part of the gig is to give some kind of like explanation for some of the arcane things that are going on in the movie, you know, and he failed, right. he failed at that. Yeah, and like I said, the characterization, like Jordan Peele's usually very good at that kind of thing, writing like great characters. And I really think a lot of these characters are very kind of just blah. Like, like we didn't even really talk about Alex, the tech guy, you know? Because, I mean, again, like, did this character really need to be there? Yeah. You know? Well, um, well it, it, he was necessary because he was the, the guy who set up all the cameras you know what i mean that was kind of like right I, you know that i can see why they had him in the film and then he added some sort of like color you know like there's another character to, to bounce things off of and to use for exposition and things like that but yeah i mean they sure. could have rolled him into one of the other characters i guess too yeah that's what i feel like just like like you could have combined some of these characters or just like really kind of beefed up like the characters that were there uh yeah you know I, it's been a while since i've seen a movie with such an uninteresting lead especially from such a great actor like um just some just baffling choices but again you know I, I stand by my three it's low recommendation it's worth seeing uh maybe once maybe twice <laughs> yeah I, I think uh, I, I mean I might watch it again someday, but I'm not. It's not one of these things where I'm like, oh, I got. I mean, like Barbarian, I'm going to pay again to see it in the movie theater this weekend. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, thanks so, yeah, everyone. There you have it. You know, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Take care. Take care, everybody.